Hello, and welcome to the Legacy Academy. I'm your host, Justin Grice, the COO of LCO Law, and with me is my wife, attorney Natalia Willette Grice, the owner of LCO Law, and the author of How to Manage Florida Rentals and Win in Court with Less Conflict. This is her fourth book, and it'll be hitting Amazon this summer. So, because there are certain areas of real estate investing, such as rentals, tax deeds, foreclosures, and these are so extensive that we couldn't possibly fit everything you need to know into a single episode, we've broken them down into individual sections that Natalia feels are the greatest hits or biggest blind spots among real estate investors. Today, we're going to be talking to you landlords, and we're going to focus on one of the most challenging aspects of owning a rental property, eviction. We have so many rental owners coming to us to fix eviction filings that were done poorly or when they become contested, and we want to help you guys get on the right track. So first of all, Natalia, please explain a little bit what, uh, when an eviction is warranted and when landlords might want to think twice. All right, so let's talk about first, what is an eviction? An eviction is the judicial process that's used to enforce a lease agreement, whether it's written or oral. Uh, so first and foremost, there's got to be a lease, right? One of the biggest mistakes that we see is that people file eviction proceedings for occupants that are not actually their tenants, meaning they don't have a rental agreement. There's no uh, agreement between the two parties to exchange money for possession. And so that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see. So think twice if the occupants are not actually under any agreement to pay you rent. Um, and then the other aspect of it, you know, before you go jumping into eviction, you've got to have all your ducks in a row. You know, eviction is a notice-based process. Uh, it's a notice-based remedy. And so if you try to file an eviction without having the proper notices in place, your eviction case can get tossed. Just tossed. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, so you were talking about the leases. So where does that come into play during the eviction proceeding? So, it, you know, when, when you have an eviction, the eviction is that enforcement of the remedy under contract law, and the contract is the lease. So that lease is the contract the court follows to see what kind of remedies you really do have available to you. If you don't have a written lease, then they're going to look to Chapter 83 of the Florida Statutes as your contract. Um, and the reality is that if your lease sucks, <laughs> so will your eviction because it's going to limit the types of remedies the court's going to have available for you. Okay. So you were talking about if you don't have a lease, um, we have a lot of real estate investors who come in and say, yeah, oh yeah, they're on a month to month oral lease and stuff mm -hmm. like that. How is that detrimental? Because you had just talked about how, how the process is a little bit different. When, when they don't have a written lease in place. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit about these oral tenancies? Yeah, so, you know, without a written lease, you're, you're again, you're stuck with the statutes as the basis to evict and for every single notice required. But the worst aspect of having an oral lease is that there's so much potential for, well, he said this, no, he said that, and that he said, she said um, <laughs> problem is even worse in court because then it's going to require the judge to have an evidentiary hearing in which it's going to be up to the judge to determine who's more credible for the situation. And, you know, you're, you can believe that your lease is for $800 a month, but if your tenant's been paying you $735 every month and you've been accepting that, 
guess what? Your tenant can argue under an oral lease that it was actually for $730 something dollars. Wow. So that's why the process of eviction can get really soured if you're only using oral leases. Okay. All right. So how long does the eviction process normally take? Oh, this is going to be like the hated attorney answer, but the answer really is it depends. Okay. If you've got uncontested, well-pled evictions, all the ducks are in a row, you've got beautifully written uh, lease agreements, then it usually takes four to six weeks, depending on the county and on the judge, because, um, you know, these are generally county court proceedings, county court judges uh, see sometimes tens of thousands of cases a year. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so, so there is limited capacity for how uh, quickly your judge can put your case through. Uh, eviction cases are entitled to what we call summary procedures. There's a special statute that says these things have to be resolved as quickly as, as you know, possible uh, um, under the law. But that doesn't mean that they are not slowed down by the lack of actual available time for the judges. Now, a contested eviction can last for years, especially if you made a lot of mistakes along the way, including mistakes in the filings, try to do everything yourself, there was a response from the other side. And if you made mistakes in managing your rentals before you got to the eviction proceedings. Right. So mm -hmm. that's that's why it depends. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It sounds to me like don't use oral leases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Can a landlord evict tenants for reasons that aren't outlined in the lease agreement? Sometimes, right? I mean, just if your lease is silent on something, you can still rely on the Florida statutes to help you make an argument that there's a valid reason why the lease should be terminated and you should get possession back of the property. Um, the Florida laws uh, provide that for certain egregious activities, you can terminate a lease with seven days notice. Um, but it requires having really excellent notice made in advance that relate very clearly what's going on, what did the tenant do that makes it such an egregious violation of the term. And uh, in these types of proceedings, there is very high likelihood that there's going to be a mini trial involved. A mini trial is what I call the evidence you're hearing before the judge, which might be for a couple of hours. And be aware, preparing for hearings takes a substantially longer amount of time than the actual hearing itself. Um, to give you an idea, I've been involved in, in a court proceeding this week uh, relating to a fraudulent foreclosure matter. For a 15 to 20 minute hearing, I prepared about nine hours. So that should give you an idea of how long you should be preparing for these mini trials. Wow. That's that's a long time. Mm -hmm. That's why attorney's fees are what they are. Yeah. And well, <laughs> and that also plays to the fact of why these investors who are, are renting out these properties need to be aware of any eventuality, any possibilities, you know, illegal activity in the home, mm -hmm. operating a business out of the home, things like that, that they don't want, they need to put in writing. Exactly. Yes. Um, so next, we're going to talk a little bit about security deposits, because we get a lot of questions regarding this. Does a landlord have any claim to the security deposit for unpaid rent or damage to the property after the tenant's been evicted? So I'm going to say maybe, okay? Um, security deposits are generally designed to be for damages. And I'm not talking about ordinary wear and tear. I'm talking about actual legitimate damage to the property caused by the tenant or their invitees or guests. Some leases, though, are written in a way that 
states that the security deposit cannot be used for unpaid rent and whoever is using these leases is using them to their detriment. One thing is having a lease that, for example, says the tenant can't force the landlord to use the security deposit for unpaid rent or delinquent rent. Another thing is just barring the use of that to, to satisfy delinquencies in rent, right? So check your leases. Um, there are timelines involved for security deposit claims. You do have to give a notice once the uh, vacancy has taken place, whether it's a voluntary vacancy at the end of the lease or an eviction vacancy because the sheriff came and put you back in possession. But there is a timeline for that and you should be aware of it. Okay. So you had mentioned that people put that into their lease. Does mm -hmm. that have any conflict with Florida statute? So if you put in your lease, yeah, if you don't pay rent, I can deduct that from your security deposit. Mm -hmm. And so if the tenant agrees to that, it, will that stand in court? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's an enforceable um, provision. The only thing that can't be waived is that timeline for making the claims on the security deposit, the notices that are involved. Okay, so they still have to go through the process, yes. but Correct. as long as it's in their lease, they can deduct yeah. The rent payment from the security deposit. Exactly. The parties can agree what the security deposit will be used for. Uh, they just can't waive those deadlines for giving out notices to each other respectively. On, I'm going to make a claim on this. You have this much time to like reject my uh, claim on your security deposit and so forth. Okay. Good. Good. Um, what are some defenses that you've seen tenants use to object uh, to an eviction? Uh, aside from covid we are out of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and how can a landlord preemptively deal with these issues? Uh, so one of the biggest and most common ones that ha takes place is the tenant says, you know, you didn't make the repairs that I had requested for this property and therefore I'm entitled to not pay any rent. The, the reality is, though, is that uh, tenants are required to, to make these repair requests in a specific way under the law. If they don't comply with that, then they don't have the basis, the legitimate basis to not pay rent. But that's a frequently one, uh, a frequent one that gets used. Another one is like modifications. Uh, this is where they say, no, rent was actually this other amount. They've been accepting this other amount. I'll deposit this amount into the uh, eviction um, court for for holding, right? And that might be a legitimate waiver. It's essentially saying it's, it's a modification of the lease, because the landlord kept accepting rent for that lesser amount than what the landlord had originally said in the lease. Yeah. Um, other ones are waiver. So, you know, like the tenant can say, well, actually the landlord told me that I can skip paying rent this month because we talked about it. He knows about my job loss and he said it was okay. Um, other ones involved, uh, you know, saying, hey, even though the lease said this amount, the landlord never actually raised the rent and kept accepting rent at the, you know, last year's rate. And so, you know, if you want to deal preemptively with these, right, don't waive your actual written lease terms, enforce the lease. And the reality is, is that because these rentals are your business, you have to run it as a business. You have to be um, very consistent about actually enforcing your lease. So go with that, don't waive, um, and just know that those are the most common defenses. Right, so it, it's important that if your rent is $1,000 a month and they try to pay you 900, that you don't accept that because that is a nonverbal waiver of that agreement, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, 
how can a landlord handle an eviction if the tenant's filed for bankruptcy? We've seen a couple of those, so we want to make sure that uh, you know these guys are informed about what their options are. Yes. So bankruptcy is relief that is provided under federal law. So it, Im- it immediately is um, preempting state law. And what a bankruptcy does is that when a person files for bankruptcy, it creates what's called an automatic stay. That's under 11 U.S.C. 365 of the code. So what happens there is that any attempt to collect (laughs) uh, upon any indebtedness owed, which includes under a lease agreement, has to stop automatically. So if you were posting a three-day notice, you can't file the eviction proceeding. If you were in the middle of eviction proceedings, those get stayed. And anything that you would try to do through that after would become void as a matter of law. Mm. So you, it, everything's paused. So if you get notice that the tenant has filed for bankruptcy, you really need an attorney to help represent you in getting relief from the automatic stay in the federal bankruptcy court. Federal bankruptcy courts are something in which I would never, ever, ever recommend that a person try to do by themselves pro se. Sure. These are very different uh, courts. They have extremely strict and very nitpicky uh, local rules of procedure in addition to the bankruptcy rules of procedure. So you really do need somebody that um, knows how to represent you in that federal district court where the um, where the tenant is. Uh, there is one a caveat or kind of like positive aspect of it for commercial landlords. Uh, generally, if there's a Chapter 13 proceeding, because um, there's different bankruptcy options, right, for the defaulting uh, tenants, uh, generally in those 13 proceedings, if it's a business, if it's a commercial lease, there's a certain time period in which the uh tenant has to assume or reject the lease and generally that bankruptcy trustee is actually going to be collecting rent on your behalf so you might actually get rent during that period before it's assumed or rejected but that's a little bit about bankruptcy and its impact in a nutshell okay so there's no real relief for residential it's not as clear-cut because most people that are uh, tenants that are filing under chapter 7 of the bankruptcy world, the ones that are just like, hey, liquidate whatever I have. And they're not going to have an assumption and rejection period. It's just all about liquidating what they own. And so at that point, what you want is relief from the automatic stays so that you can continue your your proceedings. Okay. Okay. So full disclosure, I got most of these questions from uh, like Florida renters uh, Facebook groups. And this <laughs> is one that I, I really just, it, it stuck out to me because there's a lot of these in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question was, can a landlord evict a tenant who's receiving government assistance such as Section 8, housing vouchers, things like that? Yes, yes. Um, so the federal government under HUD has created a uh, like a guideline book for Section 8 housing um, that will kind of provide the additional fl- uh, federal requirements uh, for landlords in these cases. So... Yes, you can evict, and you can evict for the same reasons, you know, non-payment of rent, breach of other lease terms, like having pets when they're not supposed to have pets, having unauthorized guests, having uh, unauthorized occupants, damaging the property, making threats to you and, you know, to your management company. Those are all legitimate bases, and you can remove a Section 8 tenant based on that. The 
periods of notice and the way in which you notify Section 8 tenants is a little bit different. So, you know, for rent, um, you, you've got to give notice to the local public housing authority, uh, the same notice that you're giving the tenants. It's a bit longer of a time period. Uh, notice can't just get posted. It's got to also be mailed. Um, and if it's for other good cause, like, for example, hey, they damaged the property um, or they've they've made, you know, substantial threats to to myself or to my management company. <laughs> hey, they're dealing yeah. drugs out of the backyard. <laughs> right. Then generally for that, it's a longer written notice um, for a good cause. So it's 30 days, whereas under Florida law, it's generally seven days notice. Okay. okay? All right. So whoever posted that question on Facebook, there's your answer. <laughs> Um, so how can a landlord protect themselves from liability during the eviction process? Because these can get pretty, uh, pretty testy, pretty adversarial. Um, we want to make sure that landlords take the right steps in order to limit their liability during the process. Well, so I have a question for you in terms of like, is it liability for what can happen in the property or just from getting in trouble with the court? <laughs> uh, probably a little bit of both, right? Because the, the liability is, uh, you know, the tenant said they're going to hack up the front door right? if I evict them. But also, what in their communications? How should they communicate with a tenant that they're evicting? Should they communicate with them at all? What are your thoughts on that? So um, I would say, you know, as far as like liability, you want to protect your your real estate. Um, make sure that you have really good proper insurance in place. Um, if there's any threats made about damaging the property, you can report those to the police. I mean, that's that's criminal, you know, <laughs> damage to your property. Um, you need to have really good systems in place uh, to begin with, right? proper enforcement of the lease continues up until you file for the eviction proceedings and then stick to not having conversations with your tenants outside of what you're filing in court. Why? Because you don't want them to attach those screenshots, those emails as communications that kind of muddy the waters in court proceedings. That's a very big one we see in which like a landlord files for an eviction, They and this is whether they do it themselves or they do it with an attorney, but they start having communications outside of what's going on in the case relating to the property. They're like, fine, I'll give you an extra five days to leave or blah, blah, blah. That immediately is a waiver of what you're seeking as relief in court. And so you've got to be very careful to not mess up your court case by trying to do these negotiations, uh, which, you, you know, you might be doing out of like having a good heart, but they're not going to be good for your case. Right, right. So the eviction is over and the tenant is out. What are some steps that a landlord needs to take post eviction? Uh, so, you know, post eviction, you need to make sure that if you have a security deposit, you're sending those security deposit claims out timely. Uh, if there's any property left over after the sheriff came and removed the occupants, uh, you've got to be careful about complying with 715 of the Florida statutes. You should also make sure that, you know, you're uh, taking pictures of how it was left over when you went in there. If you have any like future damages claims that you want to make on that. Uh, so those are some of the steps that you should take post eviction. Yeah. And one that I'd like to add in there is immediately change the locks. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that, that might be a no-brainer, but immediately change those locks. You don't know how many key copies they've made. Oh, yeah. You need to make sure that they don't have access to your property. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you touched on this a little bit, but this is a question that I see in these landlord groups uh, online all the time is when you evict a tenant and they leave a bunch of their personal belongings on the property, how do you know how long do you have to hold on to it? You know, do you have to hold on to it at all? Does it become yours and you can sell it? What, what are some of the things that you can tell uh, the investor now about uh, the personal belongings that tenants leave? All right. So yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there is a certain uh, section of Florida law which says that when there's been vacancy of the premises, it could be under eviction or it could be just the, the termination of the lease term. Um, they have to, uh, you landlords have to give notice of what's been left behind, that notice have to be has to be a sufficiently good description of the items for the um, tenants to actually understand what they've left behind. In your notice, you can put in, you know, he like here's the cost of storage of this, here's where you can get it, and you've got to give them uh, depending on how you give the notice. If you give the notice by hand to these tenants, uh, it's got to give them at least ten days to come and grab their belongings. If you send it and mail the notice, then it's got to be at least 15 days uh, notice for them to come and get their belongings. If um, now you're going in and you're kind of having to make like an appraisal estimate on your own of what the value of these things are. If the total resale value of these items is less than $500, after that time period expires, you can dispose of these items. If it's worth more than $500, then the state puts a really crappy burden on you in which you have to have a public sale. It doesn't have to be like a foreclosure auction or anything like it could be like a garage sale, right? But you've got to publish notice once a week for two weeks. Um, and you've got to hold this sale at least 10 days after the first day of publication um, in which the notice says the, you know, that kind of a description of the item so that the tenant could identify them. And then the proceeds of that sale will be used to cover the the cost for you um, storing those items, the publication of the sale, and any sort of like sale administrative fees. But the balance of it, you don't get to keep. You have to go deposit into the county treasury um, within 30 days after the sale. I know it's awful that's, that they make you guys do this. unbelievable. For people that violated your lease. You've become Sotheby's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so please really heavily encourage people to take all their junk with them when they're being evicted and when they're there with the sheriff so that you don't have to do this. Um, and then once it's been deposited with the county treasury, it's no longer any of, you know, anything to bother you. That's just up to the tenant to go and claim the money. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, so investors, you got a lot of great information here, and we're going to just uh, leave it here. We're going to say, you know, Natalia, what are three things that a landlord must do to ensure the success of their eviction proceedings? Okay. Um, proper notices. Proper notices. <laughs> uh, don't waive your terms and lease. Right. And get counsel early. It's worth it to do it right the first time uh, because, trust me, the cost of getting me from the very beginning versus the cost of me fixing your mess-ups are multiples. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there you heard it. Make proper notices. Uh, don't waver on your lease. Don't try to be the nice guy. This is a business. Mm -hmm. You're not a bad person for saying, I'm sorry, but I can't accept $900. Your rent is 1000 mm -hmm. okay? And if they can't come up with the money, that's not your fault. That's not your problem. You're running a business. And lastly, seek counsel early. It's a heck of a lot more expensive if we have to fix what you've messed up in court. That's right.